You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Doctor's Lounge. Dr. Mike Karuchak, your host for this week on America's Web Radio. Thanks very much for joining us as we continue in our series of shows here in January of 2020 as we begin our sixth calendar year uh, as uh, as uh, announcers on the Doctor's Lounge um, as the only group of full-time practicing physicians who study healthcare policy and practice healthcare every day. And we're the only group out there that covers both of those with both feet on both sides of the fence. Uh, so you get opinion and you get insight from here that you will not get anywhere else despite the proliferation of other shows and other podcasts which uh, which aim to uh, to cover similar um, topics and we're pleased to be able to do that for you so we're continuing our series of uh, interviews from our November direct primary care 3.0 uh, uh, basics to nuts and bolts uh, and we're going to cover um, several um, guests in this hour and try to get all the interview material out by the end of January uh, and at that point neat stuff's going to happen one is um, that the, the doctor's lounge radio show proper the one that is broadcast on America's web radio will undergo a fundamental change um, I will be replaced by Dr. Scott Barber, uh, and if any of you know Scott, you know that uh, he is an amazing talker. Uh, he's an energetic and prolific talker, and uh, I'm not quite sure, quite frankly, how Hal's going to get a word in edgewise uh, sharing the microphone with Scott. But Scott's a great guy. I love him, um, and he's going to have a lot to say, and, uh, and that's going to be great. And I encourage you to continue uh, listening uh, to that. I will be going solo uh, in a solo podcast format, which is going to allow a bit more flexibility, uh, and I'm excited to be able to start that. But we're not ready for that yet. Uh, we're going to bring you um, several guests this hour uh, from Sidera. So here we go. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. We have for the fourth consecutive year taken our act on the road to Orlando, Florida for the fourth annual Docs for Patient Care Foundation DPC Nuts and Bolts to 2.0. As we did last year, we're interviewing lots of wonderful guests, and we have with us today uh, two uh, guests together from the same place, Dr. Tony Dale and Erica Kraus, both from Sidera, uh, and and you guys have a very unique sort of um, solution to the problem of if someone goes to a DPC doc, but they need something beyond the range of services that the direct primary care doc offers, there's got to be something there. So that's where you guys fill the gap. So tell us how you do that. Okay, glad to uh, start with that, uh, because what's happening is a whole ecosystem is developing to help the patient who understands the power of being a cash payer. Uh, and so going to a DPC doc is absolutely the ideal uh, home base and starting place for any patient. Having a strong uh, family doctor or, you know, other primary care physician who is there actively involved, building up that ongoing doctor-patient relationship. But then as you move on through the ecosystem, if you need to see a specialist, if you need to get an MRI, if you uh, perhaps needed to be admitted to hospital, uh, how is one going to take care of the larger stuff? 
Well, that's really where Sidera comes in. We provide a medical cost-sharing solution where literally large numbers, tens of thousands of people, uh, sharing together on a voluntary basis are able to take care of those large costs for people. So how does uh, Sidera handle, let's say an event happens, somebody needs a CT scan, do you, you know, traditional insurance has the fill out the forms, do the pre-cert, you need the CPT, you need the ICD-9, you have the retail price, you have the insurance price, and the patient responsible. How does that all look to you guys? Okay, the, the process is different, and part of the way that we can help save people so much money uh, is really by educating them about the system uh, and working with them and with their DPC doctor uh, so that they are navigating through the system in an effective way. So in the example you just described, it's probably the DPC doctor who uh, has told them that they need a CAT scan or possibly he's already sent sure. them to a specialist. Sure. Uh, and into that context, uh, either the DPC DPC doctor, if he's already got the relationships, or he can use our customer service team. Uh, we have relationships with groups all over the country who are already used to dealing with the cash payer. Okay. And so in this context, they're going to be pointed to someone who's going to charge them 500 instead of three and a half thousand. Got it. So you've done like, a, in a lot of situations, sort of pre-negotiated that cash price with a large number of entities, be those labs, imaging facilities, specialists rehab, that kind of stuff. And so you've got those all laid out. Absolutely. And if we don't already have them laid out, we'll use the opportunity with that patient and their need uh, to specifically uh, create that relationship. Gotcha. So, um, you know, some of these things that I have heard uh, in the past have either blackout periods uh, where either you have to be on for a while before you're eligible for benefits or they have a ramp up where the benefits are sort of attenuated a little bit until you get, you know, 6, 12, 18 months deep. Um, or they have, and again, it's it's not a deductible because you're not insurance, but it's a different term. But but how does that all look from the patient side? Okay, again, great question, and not easy for you when uh, you're correct. We are not insurance, uh, and so it's very important within uh, this world of helping people with their medical costs that uh, we don't use insurance language, not because we're trying to obscure anything, uh, but precisely because we want it crystal clear that people are part of a voluntary group uh, who are together committing uh, to work with each other in the community and handle uh, the costs associated with these medical bills. Uh, so, yeah, in, in the situation that you describe, uh, we do ask uh, any of our members, when they have a medical incident, that they will handle the first, what we call, initial unshareable amount. Now, they can choose, uh, you know, within certain parameters what those amounts are. Uh, but what we're saying is we all need to have skin in the game on any given medical situation or condition. And so based on what you've chosen as your initial unshareable amount, uh, you would share that. It might be $500. It might be $1,500 towards that medical incident. Incident, And then everything beyond that is going to be shared within the community. And so how does the mechanics of the sharing work? Uh, and, and again, I'm, I'm going to be a clod here and use insurance terminology, and then you're going to correct me and tell me the right term. But the term I'm thinking of is a premium, 
a, a, a regular payment into the financial pool that is then available for sharing. So what now, does that look like? I, I have heard some of these obscure words that you're using, <laughs> oh, things, <yes>. like, <laughs> things like a pool and like premium. Um, we, we don't use those P words because they really don't, uh, they don't properly describe what we do. Okay. Uh, because we don't have a pool. We actually have a large body of people who've chosen to affiliate within the Sidira community and who've committed to sharing, literally giving money on a voluntary basis uh, every month. Uh, that then our responsibility within Sidira uh, is to allocate that to make sure that we're taking care of people's uh, medical costs, the needs that they uh, have, you know, within ordinary uh, everyday life when something goes wrong medically. Uh, we exist to take care of that need. And from our point of view, the need is everything associated uh, with any one given medical diagnosis, whether it's a sprained ankle that lasts a week uh, or whether it's uh, a leukemia that maybe lasts two years. Gotcha. So when, so just to add a little yes, color yes, to that. Yes, yes, jump if, in. If I were running on a trail and I tripped over a dog and I go to the urgent care clinic and they're like, oh no, this yeah. is actually a bigger this deal is, uh, yeah. than we thought it was going to be. And the next thing you know, I'm getting surgery. And the next thing you know, I'm in physical therapy. And there may have been a prescription or two assigned to that. I That would all be considered one need. So what I would do with that one need is I would pay my initial and shareable amount, which for me in the Sidera community is $500. So I'd pay my $500. I'd ask them to send me the bills for the rest. I would take those itemized bills and I would submit them to the Sidera app. And they would go through then our needs coordination process where those um, bills would be shared by the community back to the member. One important really thing we want everybody to know is that Every Sidera member is a cash pay patient. We are really intentional about not getting in the in between the relationship of between the patient and the doctor. So that as a cash pay patient, you're going to be the person that actually goes and pays that bill. Um, but okay, I was going to. That was my next question. You. We will never. Yeah. Pro- we will. We don't share directly with any entity, any medical entity. We're there as a support system for our members, and the member actually goes and, sh- and um, pays their bills. So, as a doctor who is treating somebody in the Sedera community, I might not even know. In theory, it's totally possible that you would never know. I just know them as a cash pay patient. I send them a bill. Yep. They pay it, although it's been previous. It's been negotiated. Sure. In advance for right. a particular service like yeah. getting your tonsils out, say, exactly. in my world. Yeah, so hopefully they're dialoguing with you. Hopefully right. they're talking with you and saying, hey, I'm a cash pay patient. Can I pay you directly? And then you get back to them and say, yep, this is your cash pay price. That bill gets submitted to the community. The community shares, and that member um, pays you for the amazing services that you provide. <laughs> and and if um, – thank you. That's very kind. <laughs> yeah. Um, that uh, – but if I have a policy that I collect anything up front, the patient's got to cash flow that, and yeah, then and then they get re, re I'm sorry, don't want to use another <laughs> another evil insurance term. One I don't even like, even an insurance. Right. But they're they're going to make the patient whole for that amount after the service is done. Right. We do find that um, most medical services and and. Or- Companies are willing to work with patients on a payment system. Sure. But, um, yeah, we, we encourage our members to be smart and set some money aside for medical incidents. And, okay. Um, All right. But also know that the community has your back, and, and we're going to be there. Right. Um, 
the other thing that's really important to mention is that a, a set of membership guidelines governs um, for the entire community what's shareable and what's not. So it's okay. not like I, we have people come up to us and say, okay, so I'm just gambling. I'm just going to guess that you're going to share or not share. That's not true. There's actually a set of guidelines that clarify. Um, if you join our membership community, we're always saying, hey, read the guidelines before you join. We want to make sure that you know what would be shared and what wouldn't so that you know exactly what you're signing up for. Um, we don't want there to be surprises. It's a large sure. part of the reason we moved into this is to leave kind of the surprise bill and the surprise, um, oh, I didn't know that, behind. Got it. So give me an example. Give me two examples of things you don't cover. Well, I, I could jump in there. Uh, we don't cover pre-existing conditions except okay. as they are described in the guidelines. Okay. Uh, and... Uh, and uh, I, I don't think this is the context to get into that in any depth. But essentially right. what we're saying is if you come in already knowing you've got some stuff that needs to be shared, then there needs to be some time that passes on that. You, okay. You, okay. There's sure. a graduated sharing schedule. So we right. do share, so but it okay. might be, hey, 12 months after you've been a part of the community, we will start sharing. And then 12 months sharing after that, we'll share more. For their known history of exactly. leukemia. Right. So. right. Okay. Now, you said two examples. So the second example would be, well, we, we don't share until you've shared something. That's why okay. we ask you to have an initial unshareable amount because we want you engaged. And whether you choose 500 or 1,000 or, you know, maybe 2,500 is that initial unshareable amount. When you're engaged in your own health care, including in the cost, you think about every... Hitting a hard break. We'll pick it up on the other side. You're listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. Dr. Mike Karuchak, your host, uh, bringing you again the uh, interviews from our, our November meeting, uh, Docs uh, Direct Primary Care uh, 3.0, uh, nuts and bolts to um, to advanced topics. Uh, and we pick up on our interview with Sidera right here. Everything that goes on. And, of course, large instances often begin with small decisions. So the small decision to go to an emergency room uh, when you could have just, uh, you know, reached out and called your your DPC doctor uh, can turn into a large decision for the community because all of a sudden you've moved yourself out of the safety, the framework that doctors who understand cash pay have provided for you and you've moved yourself into a system which is designed to get as much money out of you as it possibly can. Right, and, and, and crushes self-pay patients and folks because then the hospital hits them with their charge master. And, yep. You know. a- absolutely. And what other way, easy way to kind of determine, you know, what would Sidera 
likely share versus what we wouldn't. We're there for the large, unexpected surprise things, um, right. the things that you couldn't have planned for. We tend to talk in terms of maintenance versus curative. We sure. are more uh, centered around the curative stuff, the big things that need a solution. Um, where we hope that direct primary care practices and your pri- other primary doctors are working with our members around the primary and preventive stuff. And the, and the chronic stuff, too. Chronic I, mean, stuff that's, too. Yep. I was about to ask that question. I was like, no, that's a dumb question because if I'm, if I'm a diabetic... How does Sidera fit in? Well, really, it's because it's the DPC right. that's doing that work. Yeah, it, it's funny. Conventional thinking sneaks up on you, even if you do <laughs> well, this. Well, it's awesome that yeah. you said that because we love direct primary care practices so much, and we refer our members to direct primary care practices because of the rich care that you get in a direct primary care uh, situation. You get such better care, and so because our members are taking care of that so well, we actually reduce their membership contribution costs because that makes they sense. Don't need as much from us. Yeah. No. No. That's no. That's that's an awesome model. That that's. Uh, uh, are you guys coast to coast or in particular regions or or what's what's your current status and plans? Yeah. There's a there's a couple states that we don't currently offer Sedera in, but um, for the large part, we're all, in a lot of states across the U.S. We have a large membership base and are continuing to grow. So what else you want people to know? One of the main things I want people to know is that we have recently launched a cross-referral program where um, we want to make it really easy for direct primary care doctors to refer their members to Sidera. We also are wanting to make it really easy for our members to find direct primary care practices. So um, in the spring, we'll have a map on our, our website where our members can find direct primary care practices that have registered with us. It's important for them to register with us so that we can give their members that reduced membership contribution price. Um, but we want to talk to, to these practices across the U.S. and um, kind of be able to offer each other what the other uh, organization needs. Yeah, I would add just very briefly to that, that uh, we really do want uh, DPC doctors and other doctors to understand that when they're treating a patient, they're actually treating the whole patient. Now, obviously, as a physician myself, I'm aware of that, but, you know, I hardly ever thought about what was I doing that impacted them financially. Oh, yeah. Uh, And so... If DPC doctors are now actively thinking this way, they are a huge part of the preventative care of allowing a patient to be taken through a healthcare system that uh, is actually in all sorts of subtle ways designed to separate them from their money and instead can now help them keep that money in their own pockets. Yeah, and that's that's something that unfortunately as a specialist, you know, stuck in the conventional insurance universe uh, it, it is very hard to break that thinking. You know, you want to save patients money, but about the only thing I can do is, you know, give them a good RX card and tell them not to bother paying their copay or say the same thing about the CT scan. So, yeah, I, I have to keep reminding myself. Celebrating your cash pay patients, you know, yes. getting behind them and making that accessible for them. Um, we have, every now and then we'll hear about, you know, doctor or doctors or providers that make it difficult for people who are cash pay patients to access services. And so for those oh, of, yeah. of you guys who are making that possible, it's, it's a huge win. Yeah, no, we at least, at least in my world, we do make a big push for that and, and jump up and down and tell them you don't have to yeah. pay 1200 bucks for your CT. Right. You know, ask them for the cash price for sure. Okay, so if somebody wants to find you, they're going to go to www.sidera.com. 
Um, anything else in terms of how to find you? Yeah, if, if they want to go ahead and get registered with us or partner with us in any way, um, sedera.com backslash DPC practice is where to go. Gotcha. Okay, and that's what's really here is, is a slash DPC yep. practice. Okay, so www.sedera, and that's S-E-D-E-R-A, www.sedera.com slash DPC practice. Okay. Um, thanks so much, Dr. Tony Dale and uh, Erica Krauss. Thanks for your time. Delighted that you could join us in the doctor's lounge. So a great interview with the uh, Sedera folks right there. So moving on quickly so we can fit this all in, uh, our next um, interview will be with uh, Sean Pruner and Holly Titus of Employee Benefit Logistics. Fills a similar uh, niche that Sedera does, uh, but I think with a bit of a different approach. Um, so without further ado, here we go. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. We've taken our act on the road to Orlando, Florida at the fourth annual Doctors, Docs for Patient Care Foundation Direct Primary Care Meeting, Nuts and Bolts to 2.0. Uh, we're having a great time interviewing lots of very interesting guests. And uh, at the moment, we have folks from the uh, Employee Benefit Logistics uh, Company. We have Sean Pruner and Holly Titus. And uh, you guys have sort of an interesting, you know, as what happens with a new model like DPC, you need new products to sort of meet the needs of the new universe. So tell us how you guys do that and start wherever you would like. Okay, sure. Thank you for having us on, by the way. Absolutely. Uh, So what we do is we solve the problem for the employers. So we have um, self-insured employer groups who are looking for a better solution. So they went self-insured, right? That's their first step to a better solution. Yes. And then the second step is trying to weave in DPC on the front end with the primary care. Sure. So we take these employer groups and we put direct primary care uh, on their plan for all the primary care. And then for all of the other services, for the acute services and the specialists, we directly contract with providers. Okay. So we're completely exclusive of insurance companies and we directly contract for those services for on behalf of those employers in those areas. Okay. So I'm an ENT doc. Mm-hmm. You would come <clears throat> excuse me to me and say we'd like to and how does that look? Yep. So what we do is we do reference-based pricing, and uh, the reference that we use is Medicare. Okay. So we would start at Medicare, and then we would negotiate from there, depending on, you know, your... Gotcha. So it'd be, you know, 100 and some odd percent of Medicare. And so I would bill you guys with a CPT code and an ICD-10. Yes. Okay. So so for the specialists, it looks very much like a traditional type model. That's correct. Yes, with those direct contracts being uh, for the repricing. Yep. Okay. And so then what does it look like for imaging and for hospital care and all that kind of stuff? That, the same. So okay. it's the, like the like traditional fee-for-service except okay. using those direct contracts. So there's no insurance company in between. So we're a third-party administrator, which means that we can actually adjudicate the claims. Okay. So the claims come directly to us, you know. Preferably by uh, electronic uh, sure. means, you bet. and then uh, they're put through the rules of the uh, plan that the employer has, and paid directly by us. Also, okay. So, if there's a risk-bearing entity in there someplace, um, where does it where does it sit uh, in terms of um, is it? In other words, we've got the DPC piece. We've got sort of the middle layer, which is to handle specialist care and, and imaging and all that kind of stuff. 
is what's what's happening for the third layer, which is the God forbid type events, the cancers, the car accidents, and that kind of stuff. Sure. Where does that fall in? Yep. Well, again, we are contracting with the hospitals directly. So if it's something though that needs to go, like if you're in, you know, Nebraska and you need to go to the Cleveland Clinic, let's say that they have a, you know, a specialty. Right. So uh, at that point, we would do a single case agreement. We would call Cleveland Clinic and negotiate a single case agreement to treat that patient. And then who pays that? The employer. The employer. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So the employer still has risk on the table. Sure. They might want to go and reinsure against that. And they should. And they should, Mm -hmm. right. Um, Okay. See, this is all very interesting structures, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I've heard three or four different ones now, and it's very interesting. That's exactly how it's supposed to look is, Mm -hmm. is, you know, different models and see which one's the right one for the right place. So you guys were talking before we started recording that that there's a story of how you came to be and how you came to be here. So give that a shot. I've been in, in uh, employee benefits since uh, 2012, and funny start to that, but it started out with Allstate Benefits, and that was around the time the ACA um, took effect or was coming into motion, and quickly you saw when dealing with the employers that the cost was just skyrocketing, and they were just getting buried and clobbered, and, and, and so me being the type of person that I am, I'm like, there's got to be a better way, so I set sail on a path to start finding solutions that were outside of ACA, which led me down to ERISA-based plans, self-insured and all that. Uh Um, But I quickly learned even with the self-insured employers, they were still hemorrhaging. And so as I learned more about the healthcare system as a whole, um, I learned how it all works with the charge master, the uh, the complicated billing system, the networks, and how those all play together to manipulate the system, if you will. Um, And so I'm like, all right, there's got to be a better way even even then. Um, So, you know, what would happen with the self-insured employers that are contracted with the United Healthcare's and stuff, they're using the same, um, you know, contracting rates or whatnot. It's typical to see an employer running about 140% of their, their claims fund, and which means that they're hemorrhaging money. Right, they're, they're getting creamed at that. Yes. Yeah. And so when it comes to the employer being self-insured, um, I don't think a lot of people really understand, and maybe the employers don't either, that they are actually responsible for managing and mitigating those claims um, in a fiduciary role. Um, but typically they're like, oh, well, we have United Healthcare and we have our broker and, and we're good. Well, we should be good and those should be the, the, done the best of their ability. But it's not because when you look at, you know, those claims being paid and Holly, I'll tell you, you know, when you when you use reference based pricing, you're looking at, you know, anywhere from 130, 120 to 200 percent of Medicare, somewhere in that range. But what is the sweet spot about 140 is where Mm -hmm. you like to be. Mm -hmm. So when you take an an employer that that is running at, you know, wherever that if it's three four five hundred percent you know with whatever hospital that they're using on those claims and they vary and florida has 50 of the most expensive hospitals in the country um Mm -hmm. which is which is scary um but when you start to take a self-insured plan like ebl does and you start actually negotiating those claims you can actually cut an employer's um healthcare spend and claim spend by 30 percent is that safe to say? or Oh, at least. At yeah. least. And if they're fully insured, you're saving about 60%. Right. And if they're self-insured already, then you're saving an additional 30 to 40%. And those savings are coming from, like, a reduction of bureaucratic overhead? Yes, or, that's right. Because it's just a cleaner 
model. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Very transparent and simple. Yeah. And 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 what's the financial relationship with the DPC docs then? Well, do you employ them or do you uh, or is it? Go ahead. Yep. So uh, we want them to keep their autonomy. And we want them to uh, be able to provide as many services as, as they want to, right? We, we want to give them the uh, ability to grow and expand and continue. Hitting a hard break. Uh, you're listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Continue on the other side. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. Karuchek uh, with you on America's Web Radio, continuing our interview series from our Orlando meeting. Uh, we had the last three minutes of the Employee Benefit Logistics interview. Here we go. Very transparent and simple. Yeah. And, and and what's the financial relationship with the DPC docs then? Well, do you employ them or do you uh, or is it? Go ahead. Yep. So uh, we want them to keep their autonomy, and we want them to uh, be able to provide as many services as, as they want to. Right. We we want to give them the uh, ability to grow and expand and continue providing larger services. So uh, they set their fees. So they have a membership fee. And uh, how we work that right now is that the employer pays that membership fee on behalf of the employee okay. directly to the DPC. Okay. So EBL doesn't get a cut of You're that. You're not in that revenue stream at all? No. Okay. No, I, just, I actually uh, pay the DPC and the employer reimburses me. So it's just oh, okay. like me paying you know, any other... Uh, physician or hospital. Yeah, it makes sense as a TPA mm-hmm. that that would be where you'd yeah. be. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Well, that's a very interesting model. Right? Yeah. There's there's multiple ones out there, but go yeah. ahead. You Absolutely. And, and essentially, you know, I stumbled on DPC in 2016, and we all knew, you know, I've known for years that we don't have a healthcare problem, we have a cost problem, right? And Correct. You, you start you know, hearing these conversations about hospital and overcharging and all that stuff. Well, DPC in 2016, when I stumbled on that and you started having these conversations and 
they're getting x-rays at 30 and 40 dollars and they're getting mris at 200 dollars. and you're like wait how are you guys doing that if it's you know because i've had mris my son's had them and uh, with insurance and our co-pays are 1800 dollars, right oh absolutely yeah. how is the co-pay? <clears throat> imaging is one of those classic imaging and, and meds right now and the copay exceeds yeah. the cash price absolutely and then we've always had the conversation of getting the insurance carrier out of the doctor patient relationship so it was immediately once i saw dbc and i can't remember the first doctor but delicia haynes one that i met early on yeah um and then a couple others prior to her and then and then it led me to lee gross which is a brilliant guy in itself yes Um, and i knew right away that that was the answer at least half the answer to the healthcare problem because the model that it does it allows you to actually focus on the efficiency and and give the care where it's needed opposed to the current system so it's it's that was one part of it, but the other problem was the, the, the health care plans. You couldn't put DBC together with health care plans, and even if you did have a self-insured plan bundled with the TPAs that are out there, it still wasn't an answer, and that's where Holly... Well, there's the there's no way in God's green earth that you could have you know Aetna or Cigna or somebody <laughs> filling that role. No, that's a little right. antithetical to the whole... Yeah. That makes perfect sense. What absolutely. a great model. Anything else you guys want to message before we finish up? Good. Wow, right. I'm good. No, that's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Holly Titus and Sean Pruner from uh, Employee Benefit Logistics. Thanks for being in the Doctors Lounge. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having us. All right, good show. So, continuing our series of interviews. Note that these are all sort of solutions that fill the gap between things direct primary care offers, the scope of services, uh, and then you still have the bigger piece, right? You still have, you know, bigger care like you need a CT, you need a specialist, and then the God forbid events like a cancer or a car accident or something. And so you still need sort of a risk management product to fill that gap. And so you're hearing various approaches to uh, how to solve that problem. And that was really something that is new this year is uh, compared to last year and especially the year before is that we're seeing far more sophisticated, far better developed solutions uh, to those uh, challenges than we have seen in the past. It is the exact evolutionary path that you would hope that uh, something like this would take. So we're going to change uh, gears a little bit here. And um, for the next interview, we're going to talk to uh, to Min Gwyn, who uh, is going to give us her story on total wellness medicine. Here we go. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. Mike Karuchak, your host this morning from Orlando. We have, as we have every year uh, for the last four years, this is our fourth year, taking our act on the road to Orlando for the Docs for Patient Care Direct Primary Care Nuts and Bolts to 2.0 meeting. And one of the things that we're wanting to do uh, at this meeting is get stories, short stories from uh, folks that are here at the meeting for the first time and, and, and are in that early stage so that those of you listening or who are coming to the meeting and saying, is this for me? Am I ready to take this kind of plunge to hear stories from folks that are actually doing it at at all stages? And so uh, we're here talking with uh, Min Nguyen. 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 Thanks. Uh, And uh, so tell us why you're here and what you're thinking about and where you are with your practice because that's what everyone wants to hear. Uh, I've been in private practice now for 27 years. And we grew to 18 physician primary care practice. Oh, you're in a big practice then. Okay. Yes. But the practice uh, sold to a, a hospital. 
Okay. And I didn't want to work for the hospital facility, so I'm branching out on my own to start a DPC practice. Oh, fantastic! Uh, so, so th- this was like the major hospital in your in your medical community. Yes, in Houston, Texas. And uh, were you a partner in the practice that you were in before, or yes. how was that structured? Okay. Yes, I was a partner, really a, a major big partner. I grew the practice. Uh, we have up to almost a hundred thousand dollar. I mean, hundred thousand patient in our database. Wow. Okay. So it's a very large practice. A lot of bureaucrats. A lot of paperwork. And I found myself spending an extra two hours per day at night after work finishing up charts and. Uh, I have no personal life after that. Okay, so you actually did the you went through the buyout and then decided it wasn't for you, or did no. you, oh, you you actually looked at the buyout and said this is not for no. Me. Yeah, we we were in traditional practice now for twenty seven years, and after doing all this work and our compensation has started to go down, yeah. so we decided because I'm a partner in the practice that we want to sell to the hospital. Okay. And after we sold to the hospital and transitioned over to the hospital, uh, I've decided to go ahead and retire from traditional practice and start my own DPC. But that was after the buyout event had occurred? Yes. Okay. So um, I know a little bit about this, but not very much. So that meant that, I mean, sometimes with those buyouts, you have to agree to a certain amount of, uh, you know, what I call indentured servitude and time because you got to pay out. Yes. So some of that's none of our business. But what, I mean, and how did that all yeah, dovetail it, together and no, how did you they, end up deciding they had, you were? They have agreed to let me uh, exit and uh, I told them that I would start a DPC practice. And as long as I have a non-compete and I don't violate my non-compete. Okay. All right. So um, so you saw a distinct change because this is an important thing, right? Because practices are getting bought up all over the place, whether it's hospitals or private equity or whatever. But you found there was a big change in how you could manage your practice and manage your patients and manage your own life, which you didn't have much of. And that was the drive to make the move. Yeah, the, the drive that make my make me make the decision was about two years ago when our uh, EHR was switched. And okay, all right. EHR is my thing, so yeah. tell tell us more about that. And so it was just so expensive, cumbersome, and. Our overhead starting to go up so high. Uh-huh. So at that time, we decided that we have two options, whether we sell it off the hospital or we would go to DPC. Okay. Some of the partner do not want to go to the DPC route, okay. so we decided to go ahead as a group to sell it to the hospital. But I want the DPC route, so therefore I'm starting my own DPC. Sweet. Were you the only one? Did anybody else I have, with you? I have. I think a couple of other doctors, but uh, we all live in different geographic areas, so uh-huh. they're going to... I think two other are going to start their own DPC practice, but it's going to be a lot further than mine. I want gotcha. to be smaller, control my destiny, much, much lower overhead, and, and taking care of a smaller population of patients. So how's that all going? Where are you so in the So far, I'm very happy. So you're open and seeing folks. I am 
op- I am opening last week, and okay. I have a partner who also a DPC. Both of us are new, a newbie. Oh, you guys that. went into it together, together at the same time. Yes, and she what what we did cleverly is we uh, she took a telemedicine uh, position. Okay. So she is continue to telemedicine practice to sustain her income while working at our DPC practice. She nice. she actually comes in. Lock on to do her telemedicine practice uh-huh. and work. But if we have one patient, then she would stop and see the DPC patient. That's very interesting because that's one of the hurdles, right? Correct. It's, you know, you, you do the bricks and mortar, you open your door, you hang your proverbial shingle, but there's a while there where, you know, there's no revenue coming in. Cause, but so, right. if you have telemedicine as a backup. Telemedicine actually supplement her so entire income while we are building this practice and I could nice. do that too but I, I'm fortunate enough to have that um, financial security for my buyout so I didn't right. have to do that but okay. she's doing that right now so we didn't we come in as a partnership together and she's continued to sustain her regular income by doing telemedicine. Okay, all right. So it's another. It's a. It's a variant on the on the on a new route that I've learned about at the meeting here. Right. You have the folks who are established DPCs. Who I'm sorry. Who are established primary docs, traditional insurance. They go DPC, but have a pool of patients to draw from. And then I've heard at least two stories. Actually, you're the third now of folks who really, you know, you had to let all those patients go, I guess, Correct. you know, at least in theory, because you right. had a non-compete and you, right. you know, sold the practice to the hospital. Right. So you're in a situation of starting I'm, I'm in a situation to start all over again. But uh, like I said, we are not worried about uh, financially because uh, we are supplementing it with uh, telemedicine practice. Right, exactly. And then, and you have, you know, the getting through the, right. the hospital buyer practice and having a little cash that way. So, right. Yes. Okay. And my partner said she was doing telemedicine at home. So now she's coming into office more structure. Right. We have one employee only front desk and she's locking in and doing her telemedicine while building up her DPC practice. For me personally, if I was doing that, I'd have to be at an office somewhere. Like if I was Correct. at home doing it and laying around in my fuzzy slippers, you know, it, it just be too easy to, you know, go binge watch Game of Thrones That's or something. That's the reason why she yeah. went ahead and signed on the agreement with me. Yes. Is because she said struck. Uh, she's more she likes to start her day at 9 o'clock, lock into her computer, yep. seeing the, the telemedicine practice, and she actually has a California license. So doing telemedicine, I would recommend to apply to multiple states. Yes. So telemedicine company likes to have a physician who have multi-licensed state. Yeah, that's one of those little... Tippets, uh, yeah. Problems with telemedicine is is you know where do you need the license where the physician is Texas or where is the good. patients right you know. Texas California so it's very easy to apply to have a multi license state and then she sits at her computer she logs in see the patient and growing her DPC practice at the same time sweet so what um, you know anybody who's a year behind you. What, what advice would you give them? I would 
recommend what the reason why I, I changed to DPC is a friend of mine did that, but she did it right out of residency program. She is on her third year now. Okay, hitting a hard break. Pick up on the other side. You're listening to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio, continuing our series of interviews uh, from our Orlando meeting, Nuts and Bolts to 2.0. Uh, we are going to pick up on our interview with uh, Min Gwynn, and, uh, and then we will... Um, uh, pick up one more interview to finish the hour. Here we go. You know, if anybody who's a year behind you, what what advice would you give them? I would recommend what the reason why I, I changed to DPC is a friend of mine did that, but she did it right out of residency program. She is on her third year now, and she said her income increased every year. When I look at new grad, their income very, very steady or, or, or sometimes even go down after right. a certain amount of time because of overhead coming up. So when you look at two practices, one is DPC practice, one is traditional insurance practice, mm-hmm. the DPC practice grow financially and every year your income can increase. So for, for a new grad, you'd think that it would be a, almost an economically at least as good, if not better, than Absolutely. traditional insurance. Absolutely, because like I said, telemedicine world is growing, and you need to take advantage of using telemedicine oh, to okay. supplement the income. And a new grad can start their DPC practice while doing telemedicine. Okay, and that's a good way for new grads. Okay, well, that's a great message. See, you had a ton to say. She yeah. was a little shy to get behind the microphone. It turns out she's clearly a natural. Um, so let's. Thank uh, so thank you so much. Thank you. Um, thank you so much for having uh, me. You're going to have to help me again. Min. Win. Win. Go in. Win. Oh, win. Win. Okay, like W Y N N. Win. Win. Okay. Yes. And how do you say your first name? Min. Min. Yes. Min Win. Okay. All right. I'm slow with these things. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. So, yeah, we'll have you on probably within the next month or so. Great. So, we'll let you know. I'll be glad to come by. I'll come back to the DPC conference next year and Wonderful. I can report. And you can the give us progress how we're doing. That's yes. an excellent to do thing on the to do list. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
Well, I tell you what, talk about embarrassing yourself over somebody's last name. I guess with a last name like mine, I guess it's poetic justice. I don't know. Um, anyhow, so we'll finish with the last of our interviews of uh, personal stories of individual docs that have uh, started their own uh, direct primary care practices. So our last uh, interview is with one Dr. Sidney Coupe, who has founded a uh, – entity called uh, CQC. Uh, so uh, here we go. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. Mike Karuchak, your host. Uh, we continue with a series of awesome interviews with guests and speakers from the fourth annual Doctor Patient Care Foundation Direct Primary Care Nuts and Bolts to 2.0 meeting. Uh, our next guest just gave a great presentation uh, inside, and we grabbed him real quick and got him out here because we liked it so much. Uh, this is Dr. Sidney Coupe, uh, who is the founder of the Coupe Quality Clinic in the uh, Fort Lauderdale area. Yes, good in deal. Miami. Yes. In, Mi- in Miami. Okay, and um, and so he's going to give us the story of, of how this all came to pass. So, yes. uh, Doctor, the floor is yours. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Um, it is such a pleasure to be here at this conference. Uh, I feel the excitement and the energy here, and um, it's important for us to come to these events to uh, share all of our experiences. And I'm here, and I did share my experience uh, from Fort Lauderdale and Miami um, with the uh, Coupe Quality Clinic. And the title of my presentation was Practicing Optionality. How do you grow your DPC practice? Um, This notion of practicing optionality. And, um, you know, the take-home message really, for the most part, um, is really allowing ourselves to be present and be engaged and be okay with the uncertainty of a practice. Um, especially a DPC practice. And um, I went into quite a bit of details, but uh, the three main points is, number one, going into uh, direct primary care, do not make predictions. I mean, uh, you know, we set ourselves up for failure when we start predicting, you know, numbers, where we need to be, et cetera. Um, instead of making predictions, you know, we should be practicing all the options there is. Um, be in action with all the possibilities of ways, for instance, for patient referrals, right? Um, you know, a lot of docs are concerned, you know, where would they uh, be able to uh, increase their membership? Um, um, how do they do that? And one of the things is there's many, many opportunities out there. And the best way to find it is to really be engaged in the community that you're in. Um, a lot of people will hear me say that direct primary care is a community-based approach. Um, and it needs to stay local. And it's more impactful locally. And so it's really listening to the community and what's there available and local. For myself, I shared that, you know, uh, going to church events, making presentations, um, going to health fairs was very important in my community. Sure. Um, to being visible, et cetera. And that created a sense of patient referral base that, that allows us to grow as a practice. Um, again, it couldn't start without actually being engaged and giving up the idea of making predictions, right? So that's what happened, being open well, to learn. Well, that's hard for docs to do. You know, it, it, it's a yeah. worthy lesson to teach because by self-selection and by training, yeah. we're not happy with uncertainty. and We're not happy with, with uh, not just, you know, we yeah. need to predict yeah. and we need to be right. Absolutely. Or, and so, yeah, it, it, it's hard to let go. It is. It is. It's what I call the expert fallacy, right? You know, yeah. we, uh, we, we want to be experts when, in fact, 
um, you know, the, the best uh, people are the fat Tonys in the world, right? Yes. <laughs> you know, exactly. um, you know, our best guess um, uh, is as good as uh, the taxi cab driver versus the uh, physician that's in the academic, uh, you know, top five universities out there. I mean, I, I got to tell you, I'd rather uh, bet on that taxi cab driver any day. <laughs> well, it, it can't be any worse. Right. And it's and it's it's got a 50-50 chance of being better. Right. So, yes, 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 indeed. Know. So so the first one was don't make prediction. Um, the second one, um, which, you know, I, I emphasize a lot, if they ever remember any of the things I mentioned, was, you know, we need to bring in competition in the practice. So from all aspects of operations, whether if it's nurses we have, you know, we are running a lean operation. Uh, but because it's so lean, um, it's subject to be fragile. Sure. Um, um, and, and I brought in the concept of uh, an economist, uh, Nassim Talib had taught us about uh, being anti-fragile. Okay. And, and, and that was the theme of, of, of my uh, presentation. How do you become anti-fragile? So, so the first one is don't making predictions. The second one is really, um, inserting competition at all levels. Um, so instead of having one MA, right, that we probably would put so much, uh, emphasis on, if that MA gets sick or if something happens or if they become disgruntled, they're not happy, they leave and there goes your practice. So what we do as an example is bringing MA students, compete with each other. Um, okay. and that manner of competition brings out the energy and the passion that you need and the sustainability that you need in your practice. So do you do you set up any particular things to foster competition or you just put them, oh. put them together in the oh. same back office and it happens all by itself? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. We, we actually set goals. We actually set okay. goals. And um, some of the uh, uh, competition is among employees. You know, you know bring everybody in the same space, um, really standing for that patient. And, and, it, and it's clear when we're transparent, we know who does it well. Um, we know whether the MAs who are supposed to follow up on a phone call did not follow up on a phone call, um, um, make sure that our patients continue to adhere to the regimen that the doctor has prescribed, whether if it's medications or making sure that they're avoiding salt and et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, those things, when you see that, that's clear, right? So those are clear uh, measures uh, that we could all attest to that uh, will either motivate us or, or deselect us. Um, um, the other form of competition is is the what I call skin in the game competition. Okay. Um, where now instead of you, the doctor, being invested in recruiting your own patients, have your staff get involved in the recruitment as well. Okay. And and we we play this game called game in the world. So at the end of the month, we say how many people did you save today? You know, and and by bringing someone to a direct primary care practice, we translate that as giving them access to quality life saving care. And so it's like saving lives. So, so we talk about that. So you call it as a save. Save, yeah, yeah. So yeah. how many lives did you save? How many lives did you save this month? Yeah. And so that's, that's the competition. That's so that created a sense of fun and energy, and 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 we're just having a thrill doing do you, this. Do you? Um, I don't know if this is if, if it's legal or not. Can you incentivize staff to 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 bring in new patients, or is that I can, off the top of my head? I don't know. You know, I, I, you know. So there's a lot of uh, uh, you know. I don't want to pull hairs here, but right. absolutely, you can incentivize. Incentivize. Means means many things. It doesn't always have to be monetary. Sure. Um, um, if indeed it is, it, it has to be as a bonus or structure right. of some sort. And, um, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but I, I had spoken to a lot of amazing lawyers here in the DPC conference yes. who, who uh, are making themselves available. And that's the, by the way, not to digress, but that's the beauty of being here because everyone's yes. here to 
help each other, be around to support each other because we all are invested in each other's success. Yep. I mean, yep. that's one of the beauties is all the, all the brains come here, you know, the people who have the answers and the people who need the answers, and then everybody ends up learning from each other. Absolutely. You know, I, Absolutely. I've learned a ton sitting here listening to folks like you, you know, <laughs> talk about and, you know, share their fund of knowledge. Absolutely. So, absolutely. absolutely. And the last thing that I mentioned, yes. which is the three, one of the three points, was don't be a turkey. Okay. <laughs> That's the easiest one and the most popular one, which people remember. You mean just don't be a nice guy? No, well, no, 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 no. So, you know, that, that concept turkey came from this notion that, you know, when you look at the turkey, you know, have you, I don't know if you raised turkeys before, you know, farmers who I've raise turkeys, you know, they, they feed turkeys um, um, through all, all year round. They feed them. And, and what's interesting about it, the turkeys come at a particular time because they know when they're going to get fed. Sure. So they feed the turkey. Except for Thanksgiving Day. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> so yeah, when yeah. the turkey comes in for uh, another yeah. feeding opportunity, they think, oh, I'm going to get fed. These guys are great. And yeah. boom, they chop yeah. their heads off, right? It does involve dinner. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right, 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 right. So so in other words, that, that, that theory is not being a turkey implies that, you know, don't allow, because you're comfortable, things are moving around, that the rarity, the unpredictability, or what I like to call the black swan event can't okay. occur. Okay. And when it does, you've got to be ready for that. And so, so I predict that, you know, and we don't predict, by the way, I propose <laughs> that we should practice in a way that we should manage our risks of any possibility. It's the rare events that we need to worry about because sure. they're the most consequential. And, 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 and by practicing in terms of preparing ourselves, so to speak, for that rare event as a practitioner allows us to deal with the uncertainties that occurs in healthcare. And there's a lot of them, especially as a practitioner um, um, here in the like in a healthcare. Like a rare business event Rare business, about? yeah, or, you know. you know, unemployment happens in the area or a okay. company leaves a practice. Okay. Those are some of the black swans that are impacting okay. practices what you mean. and oh. causing the practices to shut down. And so instead of relying on one referral source, for instance, right, right. you have a several yeah, uh, referral okay. source. Yes, yes. So, so it's that's really sort of a, a CEO-like look forward to see where your company's risks are. Well said. You know, in, for example, being, you know, you got all your eggs in one basket in terms of your referral, <laughs> referral source. Yeah. And yeah, for whatever yeah. reason you lose that, then you Absolutely. Get absolutely. And same got thing it. with employees, right? You got to look at how many employees you have. What do you do? I mean, since we're running a lean model, students are always a good resource. Um, you know, when you have students who are learning, you have you adding value to them, uh-huh. you're adding value to their lives. But at the same time, they're there to support your, your business because the business has to keep going. Um, as, as practitioners, we don't have the luxury to take off. So, <laughs> no. so, so you make sure no. that your model does not take off. The people there could take Maybe. off, but the model should not. So you referenced um, having MA students, and you've yeah. kind of referenced students yeah. twice. Do you have an arrangement with a with some educational institutions to bring absolutely, those absolutely. In? MA students and P students. Um, um, nurse practitioner students are amazing. I mean, you have the, they're nurses already, most of them, and and they're out to uh, learn how to become a, a, an effective nurse practitioner and to be part of this healthcare industry of uh, you know this this healthcare crisis that we're dealing with here in America. Um, you know, so so absolutely. So you have MA students and uh, MP students. I mean, even health administration students want to understand how do you run a Well, practice. that's good. Yes, you yes, know, absolutely. Let them go find out what a patient looks like because they might not have another opportunity. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. And all the people that can support you while you do the important work of taking care of the person in front of you. Yes. Right? These folks are your blockers. <sighs> I am broken hearted. We are at the end of the hour and can't finish that interview right now. We'll get the rest of it on next week. You're listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio Online. Thanks for tuning in. 
You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.